Welcome to America in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Cole McNeely. Coming up, we'll take a quick look at one of the top stories from TheCenterSquare.com, and later, executive editor of The Center Square, Dan McCaleb, and DC reporter Casey Harper will take a deeper dive into some of the top stories of the week. Coming up right after this on America in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state focused news and information site. We deliver essential information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. TheCenterSquare.com. Early next month, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear challenges to two of President Biden's worker-related COVID-19 vaccine mandates. The nation's highest court agreed Wednesday to hear oral arguments January 7th on the Biden administration's separate executive branch mandates that most health care workers and those employed by private businesses with 100 workers or more must be fully vaccinated against COVID-19, be tested regularly, or face losing their jobs. To read more about these stories and many others, visit thecentersquare.com. Now for a closer look, it's Dan McCaleb and Casey Harper. Thank you, Cole, and welcome back to America in Focus, powered by The Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of The Center Square Newswire Service. Joining me again today is Casey Harper, The Center Square's Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. Casey, we're recording this on Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve and Saturday is Christmas Day. I want to wish all of our listeners a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy New Year, and any other holiday you may celebrate. Casey, what does this season mean to you? Uh, thanks, Dan. Merry Christmas. Um, I'm a big fan of Christmas. I am um, unashamedly just all out on sweaters and cocoa and decorations. And we actually put up our tree before Thanksgiving, which is a oh, pretty my. debate. I don't know if you're if that's offensive to you, but it is. Uh, oh, yeah. So you're a post Thanksgiving tree guy? Yeah, I'm more like a mid December Christmas tree guy, but. That's okay. Yeah, Each I think their I think, own. I think our viewers know already get the Grinch vibes. Don't worry. I don't think we have to spell it out for them. I'm, I'm definitely one who does not like when the department stores um, put up their their holiday Christmas holiday celebration stuff before before Halloween. Um, that does annoy mm-hmm. me uh, yeah. a little bit. But I like you. Um, love this season. Uh, the Christmas season, and um, I recently uh, uh, had a death in my family, and and that uh, just sort of brings home the point how important family is um, all year long, uh, but especially during this time of the year. So uh, uh, I know you're you're traveling for the holidays, Casey, and I hope you you're able to spend some time um, with 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 family and friends and and, and enjoy your time off. Thank you. Despite this being a big holiday week, Casey, we have a lot mm-hmm. of news to talk about. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, today, so why don't we start with the the U.S. Supreme Court uh, deciding uh, yesterday, Wednesday evening, uh, December twenty second, uh, to schedule arguments on two significant challenges to President Joe Biden's vaccine mandates, 
what do our least listeners need to know, uh, Casey? Yeah, that's right. These mandates have been on quite the roller coaster ride. Uh, you know, Biden is all in on the mandates now, but I've written about this a few times, and you may remember that he started off with his administration saying that to institute any kind of vaccine mandate would be unconstitutional, that the president doesn't have the authority to do that. Jen Psaki is on the record a few months ago saying the president doesn't have the authority to do these mandates. So is Nancy Pelosi. Um, you know, she said that's just not something that we can do. So that's when, you know, those the idea that of a mandate was put to rest then. But then it was resurrected when President Biden issued a flurry of mandates. And as you just said, they are facing uh, legal challenges. So, you know, the Supreme Court um, said they will hear the challenge to Biden's mandates. So there, there's a few of them. Um, and just to review, I think many of our listeners will, will already know about this, but to review, um, one of the mandates is for companies with at least 100 employees. Uh, the mandate says that they have to ensure that their workers are vaccinated or face heavy fines. And right? these so are private they, sector companies. Exactly. These aren't government government agencies. These are private businesses that are privately owned. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And the government is mandating the, the, the Biden administration is mandating that all of their workers be vaccinated. Right. And these fines are hefty. I mean, if you uh, you know, it's it's well over ten thousand dollars, you know, fine. I believe it's almost fourteen thousand dollar fine. And uh, it, per, it adds per, up per violation. Right. Per, exactly. Yeah, per violation. So if, if if you had a large company and you wanted to kind of be a conscientious objector and have. 10 of your employees, you know, go for a few months without getting a vaccine, you'd be paying, you know, millions of dollars potentially. Uh, So it's very serious um, and it's being challenged in court. There's another mandate. I don't know if you want to walk us through that one. This is the healthcare um, workers mandate. Yeah. So another one of his his many mandates uh, for vaccines was was um, for healthcare workers who work in institutions that receive tax dollars through Medicaid. Uh, or Medicare. Um, he's mandated that all healthcare workers who work at these um, these companies um, also, uh, whether they're 100 employees or fewer than 100 employees, it could be your local doctor's office, um, if they accept Medicaid or Medicare uh, tax dollars, they also, under Biden's edict, um, must be vaccinated uh, against COVID or face similar uh, penalties. Yeah, and I think it, you know, it's basically obvious, but a lot of the opponents and critics are saying this is a violation of their their privacy, that this should be a private decision, um, that uh, the president doesn't have the authority to unilaterally say that someone has to get a vaccine, um, especially when, of course, there's been a lot of loss to due to COVID, but it does have a very high survival rate. You know, there are other ways to avoid getting COVID than vaccines. The, the other side, people would say the pandemic's too serious. Uh, it kind of gives the president this emergency uh, power. But for the most part, the courts have sided against Biden, though an appellate court did side um, for him, which is why one of these mandates, you know, going to the Supreme Court. Um, so I guess we'll see. I don't think we've heard, we haven't heard anything, have we, any indication or leanings one way or the other from any justices. I, I don't, I'm not no, aware of any. 
no, uh, uh, no, not specifically from any uh, justices mm -hmm. themselves outside of their, you know, the the um, the uh, eviction moratorium that um, right. uh, that w was first put into place under the Trump administration. Um, and then th that the Biden administration continued. It was supposed to um, uh, uh, end this summer, but uh, the Biden administration uh, uh, tried to extend it and the Supreme Court did weigh in on that, saying the president himself does not have the executive branch itself, does not have the authority to do that, that that would be uh, that that would need to be done by U.S. Congress, the legislative branch um, of the government. So and there have been legal analysts who have taken that decision, you know, and tried to tie it to the vaccine mandates that, again, um, are coming from the executive branch. The Congress, the legislative branch have not voted uh, 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 via the legislative process to issue these mandates. Um, uh, so it's being done all executive uh, through executive the, the executive branch. And there are legal analysts who are saying that maybe because of their decision on the eviction, eviction moratorium, um, that there rules similarly uh, on the uh, on the vaccine mandates. But no, I have not. We have not heard from any of the justices uh, based on questioning or whatever. But but as we mm -hmm. said up front, the Supreme Court's going to hear arguments uh, January seventh um, on on the, on both the private sector uh, mandate and the uh, Medicare Medicaid health care worker uh, mandate. So I think we're going to get some good indications. Uh, from the justices questioning both the the Biden administration's attorneys uh, and the plaintiffs, the folks who brought these lawsuits challenging these mandates, um, we're going to get some indication from these justices how they're leaning. What 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 say you? Yeah, yeah, and I would just add that one. Uh, there's there's really two questions here, separate questions with it within the mandate. Um, and a, one judge I read said, you know, who ruled against the mandate said that the president doesn't have the authority to do this and it's unclear whether it would be constitutional even if congress created a law to do this so there's the question of does the president have the authority to do this right can the president is this overstepping the executive's authority and then the second question is even if you know congress did pass a law allowing for this mandate would it be even still be unconstitutional i mean just because congress passes it doesn't mean it's constitutional obviously there's more leeway when, when Congress does it. But those are kind of the two questions. Does it okay just for the president to unilaterally do this? Um, and then even beyond that, is the law itself, uh, does it stand up to constitutional scrutiny? Right. And, and and I think that is, I don't know that this, because Congress has not even taken a vote, um, well, uh, the Senate has, I guess, um, and this, the Senate, with bipartisan support, some Democrats joining um, uh, Republicans, did rebuke uh, one of the, uh, the Biden uh, mm -hmm. administration's mandates. But I, I, I don't know that the Supreme Court will weigh in on that because that question is not before the court. But I do think for future precedent, that would be an important question to answer, whether or not even Congress itself could issue such personal uh, mandates on individuals when it comes to their own personal health care um, choices. But let's face it, in this current makeup, Congress is not um, going to pass any uh, laws requiring COVID-19 vaccine mandates. This, the Senate, of course, is split 50-50 um, between Democrats and Republicans. All Republicans have said they oppose uh, uh, such mandates. So um, January 7th is going to be a big day. Now, we don't expect the Supreme Court to rule 
on January 7th. They're just hearing arguments from both sides on January 7th. Mm -hmm. But we could get an indication based on their questions of attorneys from both sides. And I suspect just because these mandates are expect are, are under the Biden's uh, administration's executive orders, they're, they're supposed to be imp implemented January 4th, three days before arguments are going to be heard. Uh, so I would suspect that the Supreme Court's not going to take a whole lot of time in deciding uh, uh, on these challenges. Yeah, it's it's right. And if you you probably remember that in the Obamacare, which is a vast, you know, law that changed a lot of the healthcare system, what it really came down to was the individual mandate: Can you require a person to buy health insurance and find them if you don't? And um, there's a lot of debate over that. Ultimately, the Supreme Court, if I remember right, said that it's not a fine, it's a tax. Um, right. And that's why it was okay to require people to get health care, um, which, which really implies that you can't <laughs> require people to do it and find them. So the Supreme Court really had to uh, wiggle around the idea of a fine for not getting Obamacare. They called it a tax, right. um, which really implies that yeah, they can't, you can't do that. And that court was a was a bit more balanced from a mm -hmm. uh, political perspective than this court. That that yeah. court at the time was was thought to be uh, uh, conservatives were thought to have a five more five four majority uh, on that court. Um, uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, uh, the chief uh, justice uh, John Roberts, Roberts um, however, sided with the liberal wing of the court uh, in that case. Um, he's been found to be a little bit more centrist uh, than conservatives, uh, right. Justice, Justice Roberts. Um, this court, after uh, tr the Trump's appointees, Don uh, President Trump's appointees, is now 6-3, more like 5-3-1, uh, if you count uh, Chief Justice Roberts uh, as, as more of a moderate or a centrist. Um, so who knows how that's going to play into it as well. You're right. This court is uh, lean right, and and many conservatives have really stopped referring to Roberts as a conservative judge. You know, there's there's the inherent problem with even saying a judge is or justice is conservative or liberal. But we all know that they do tend to vote a certain way, um, and it often correlates with who nominated them. Correct. Well, let's uh, let's move on, uh, Casey. Another huge story this week. Um, uh, Senator U.S. Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia went on Fox News program uh, Sunday morning and said he will not support uh, President Biden's key um, uh, legislative priority, the Build Back Better uh, plan. What can you tell us about this and what's it mean for the Build Back Better Act? Do you hear that, Dan? I hear nothing, it's Casey. The sinking of the Titanic, known oh, as Build Back Better, and Joe Manchin is the iceberg. Um, oh, unless something changes, you know that's pretty, kind of poetic and sad. But this is uh, this debate, and we, you know, I've been covering it a lot. Uh, they have been debating, wrangling, negotiating over this bill for months and months, and uh, it held up. In the infrastructure bill, if you remember, many progressive Democrats. Um, didn't want to vote on the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is long past, uh, because they were afraid that Build Back Better wouldn't go through. And they wanted to use the infrastructure bill, which is much more popular, as, infra as a leverage to get Build Back Better. And it seems their fears may have been warranted. Uh, I'm not sure whether that strategy would have worked. But 
Um, really, Mansion. This shouldn't come as too big a surprise. People kept just assuming that Mansion would come around because he's a Democrat. But I've been following his statements very closely since this summer, and he's been very consistent. Um, he's never. He has not flip flopped at all. He didn't say he would support it and change his mind. From the beginning, he's been very hesitant, very cautious. He's repeatedly pointed to inflation. Um, and inflation has only gotten worse since the summer when he was saying that, you know, inflation's too high. We can't be printing money to spend on this social spending bill. We just passed, you know, this year, it seems like a long time ago, but we passed the COVID bill, right? Um, which, and then we also passed the infrastructure. So it's a lot of government spending. Um, I have his statement here. You know, he said, this is a statement from him. I won't read the whole thing, but he said, for five and a half months, I have worked as diligently as possible, meeting with uh, Biden, Majority Leader Schumer, Speaker Pelosi, my colleagues on every end of the political spectrum to determine the best path forward, despite my serious reservations. I've made my concerns clear through public statements, op-eds, and private conversations. My concerns have only increased as a pandemic surges on, inflation rises, and geopolitical uncertainty increases in the world. And so that's basically you know, what I'm referring to. He's saying, hey, guys, you're throwing me under the bus, but I've been telling you for months that I don't like this bill. Inflation's too high. What if we get sucked into some kind of military conflict over Ukraine and we have to spend even more money? Are we really going to be ready to do that? Because we just spent six trillion um, domestically in one year. So, this you know, there's a lot of swirl going around politically, but it is definitely possible that some new version of Build Back Better um, can resurface. Uh, but it's going to be at least in 2022. And that's really, you know, it's in question. Yeah, that's what I was going to uh, that's what I was going to ask you, because because there are a lot of progressive Democrats who are extremely angry with uh, Senator Manchin um, and Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell even invited um, uh, Senator Manchin to join the Republican Party after he, uh, you know, clearly stated he would never support build um back better but progressives are, are I, I can't imagine they're going to back down on this they're going to keep pushing um president biden and other members of congress democratic members of congress to get something done i mean what could be salvaged i i know it's complete speculation but what possibly could be salvaged from this nearly two trillion dollar um bill that includes a lots of social spending lots of uh, uh lots of new spending uh to fight climate change uh things like that you see any part of it uh, being res uh, resurrected in a new bill yeah i mean i could i could see uh you know you could do all the same provisions on a much smaller scale um but even then you can't really do that because there are certain things like you know universal pre-k free community college, child tax credit, you need a certain threshold of money to make this work, right? And uh, just some of these things you're just not going to be able to do. Uh, like, on, you know, fighting climate change, theoretically, you could just cut that number in half and it wouldn't really, it would just change the, the degree into which you're quote-unquote fighting climate change. But some of these are like large programs that need to be fully funded for a certain number of months. And so you're going to probably have to pick and choose. They could do that based on what's most popular, but I think progressives are going to be angry, especially in the, in the Senate. Um, and obviously there's the squad in the house who feels very safe in this midterm. But the, the thing that Democrats are not talking about right now, which is very much in their minds is November. And it's, it's common for the midterm election of a president's first term to see a massive, 
you know, swing in the other direction. We saw that with the Tea Party um, under President Obama, and we saw it um, under Trump. And so I think they're very worried about that. You know, will they try to salvage a bill? It's so hard to know. I mean, we're really guessing. I think that some of those, you know, paid family leave, the the child care, I think some of those things they think can pull well enough to really uh, get something across the finish line. But it's a crapshoot, and I think nobody wants to vote on this during an election year with all the problems I alluded to that are coming in November. That's that's right. Next year is the midterm elections. Um, all of the U.S. House uh, seats are up. About a third of the U.S. Senate seats are, are up. We've talked before about this podcast, how there are a lot of incumbent Democrats who are not running for re-election. So Democrats hold on the House and the 50-50 split in the Senate are in jeopardy. Um, particularly if, if President Biden's approval ratings continue to, to plummet. Yeah, it's really more than in jeopardy. Uh, I think they're assuming they're going to lose it and trying to stop the bleeding at this point, just based on history and based on the polling we're seeing. Uh, Republicans have a generic congressional Republican ballot, has, I think, nearly a 10-point lead right now, which is very wow. unusual. Of yeah. course, it's, it is very early. Things could happen. Inflation True. could um, starting get start getting under control, though uh, many economists predict it's going to last throughout uh, uh, 2022. The economy could significantly improve, but those are all things we just don't know uh, yet. But anyway, we do need to move on. Got another big story. Want to talk about this uh, from this week? The U.S. Census Bureau uh, released its annual um, census estimates. Um, two things stood out to me. Um, uh, from uh, from the new data that was released, overall population growth in the United States slowed to the lowest levels since the um, since America's founding. Number one, two, um, a number of blue states, a number of Democratic-run states, continue to bleed residents. Uh, new York State, California mm-hmm. State, and Illinois. Um, They're leaving you, Dan. Yeah, my my home base is in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Residents are fleeing at just um, significant rates. And this is this is not just a one year um, uh, thing. This has been going on for years, particularly in New York and Illinois. This is the second straight year that California has lost a significant um, number of residents to out migration. Now, of course, uh, these census estimates, you know, they, they they factor in births. Um, and deaths of, of residents, new, new births and, and, and deaths, but they also factor in migration, people moving from one state to another. And it's, it's out migration from California, New York, and, and Illinois um, uh, uh, that resulted in these plummeted population numbers. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean? I mean, I think the, uh, the birth, the low birth rate and the immigration and, you know, domestic immigration are kind of two separate issues. I think it'd be harder sociological question about the low birth rate. I mean, I think there's economic components. Um, that's, that's a tough one. I think what's what really interests me, um, at least for this podcast, more so is the um, moving from these big democratic states because uh, the tax rates are much higher there. Um, that's no small part of it. Um, and I'm sure you you feel that pinch yourself. I mean, in Illinois, of course, New York and California are known for having uh, very high taxes, also strict COVID policies. I mean, we can, in some, in some degree, you know, we can't say 
how much one influenced the other. It's a little bit of speculation, but it's no it's no um, accident in my mind that it is some of these uh, states that have higher taxes. And I know this is a big issue. I'm from Texas um, originally. Obviously, I'm in the, you know the DC area now, but uh, I grew up in Texas, and everyone I talked to there is very concerned about this. Actually, there's a lot of people moving from these states is moving to Texas. Texas has a great economy. You know, how, housing prices are much lower in Texas. There's a lot of jobs. And so a lot of these people end up moving to Texas. Um, and, you know, a lot of even, you know, it's a, obviously a red state, uh, but a lot of the Republicans there are actually very worried that the state is going to flip blue because of all the quote unquote, the Democrats are moving here. Um, it's a real thing. You know, I know I was talking to the leadership. This is a kind of anecdotal example, but there's a large church in Waco, Texas called Antioch uh, Waco. And I was talking to their leadership and they said that um, they get, I think, three families every Sunday from California. And of course, they're, you know, they're a great, nice church and they're very happy to have people and everything. But you think about that. I mean, it's just one church, three families every Sunday from California. This is what is happening all over the state. And I think it does tie back to the taxing issues and even the the uh, COVID uh, masking and vaccination policies. So two things I want to respond to uh, there, Casey. One, you, you referenced Texas. Uh, of course, Texas saw the, 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 the biggest population increase year over year based on these census estimates. Um, Look at that. My speculation's backed up by fact. Imagine that. A reporter. <laughs> Look at the, that. The, the other two states that gained the most population were Arizona uh, and Florida. Um, also red states, lower tax states. Um, uh, so, so that is, that is holding true. Um, this point you made about Texas being worried um, uh, about this influx of folks, particularly from California, perhaps turning a red state blue because all of these new uh, voters who moved there. I guess, you know, it, it, I understand that, that concern. But my, my, I guess, more philosophical argument or my question, my philosophical question would be, if you're leaving California because of its high taxes and, and because of its high business regulations that affects jobs and, and job growth, um, because of its other restrictions, particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic, and you move to another state, why would you bring your same support for those if you were if you previously supported those policies, or, or why would you bring that those types of policies to your new state? You're fleeing that. You're coming to a new state that has lower taxes, mm-hmm. that has low, lower business regulations. Um, so why would you vote for what you just fled uh, instead of what you're moving to? Anyway, that's not a question that we can answer um, yep. today, Casey. Um, we are running out of time. Uh, and Casey, any last holiday thoughts? Any uh, anything? Any last uh, thoughts on the Christmas, uh, New Year's season? Yeah, my main my main thought is I'm still waiting for your present for me. Um, haven't nothing's arrived in the mail just Detect yet. Detecting the mail, but back, you Casey. Still, you have a little bit of time, uh, so no no presents, no chocolate box of chocolates from you yet. But I'm eagerly waiting. So. I understand that the U.S. mail at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it's they, unprecedented they, times, Dan. Unprecedented delays. times. <laughs> so, so right. you know, keep waiting, keep waiting. Okay. Uh, and right. Maybe, maybe something will, maybe something will show up. Mm-hmm. All right, that is all the time we have, uh, Casey. Uh, thank you again. Uh, this has been the America in Focus podcast. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah to all of our listeners. We are going to take the week off. 
uh, next week. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you again uh, at the beginning of 2022.